welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. Harvard University is in a Boston federal court defending itself against claims of racial bias in admitting Asian American students. Speaking with Bloomberg, Anna Ivey, founder of Ivey Consulting, explained the importance of the case. Affirmative action has been upheld uh, as late as 2016, but that was when Justice Kennedy was still the swing vote. And of course, he's been replaced by Justice Kavanaugh. So the admissions landscape could look very different depending on how this case turns out. Joining me is Elise Boddy, professor at Rutgers University Law School and founder and executive director of the Inclusion Project. Elise, the suit was brought by a group opposing affirmative action called Students for Fair Admissions. Explain their claims about Harvard engaging in racial balancing of Asian Americans. Well, so um, their claim is that um, Harvard sets a cap on the number of uh, Asian Americans who are admitted to the university. Um, that claim is going to have to be sorted out by the district court. Uh, we know that Asian Americans uh, have been admitted, um, an increasing percentage number of Asian Americans have been admitted uh, over the last eight years or so to, they're now 23% of the admitted class. Um, so their their claim is that uh, there's a limit that has been set. Um, if that is in fact true, that is unlawful. Uh, as I said, the district court is going to have to sort that out. Uh, but I think it's important to understand what this case is really about and the significance of the case. Uh, what the plaintiffs are arguing for is for colleges essentially around the country, if this case goes to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court were to strike down affirmative action, their claim is that colleges around the country should not be able to uh, consider race and they not they should also not uh, be uh, they should not have a process in which admissions officers are aware of or can even learn the race or ethnicity of a particular applicant. So this is a very extreme case. It goes against settled law, but the the goal here is clearly to overturn that law. Let's put the suit into even a little more context. Affirmative action has been under assault, it seems like, since it first began, and it's often on the verge of being affirmed by the Supreme Court by a slight vote, as we know that Justice Kennedy was the swing vote. So put it into context of the various cases at the Supreme Court on affirmative action. Sure. So um, we can start by looking at the 1978 case, uh, the Bakke decision, which essentially held that quotas, the use of quotas in admissions, is unconstitutional. Um, but Justice Powell, who was who was sort of the Justice Kennedy of his day, concluded that race could be considered as one of many different factors in a comprehensive admissions process, and he pointed to Harvard as the model for how such a uh, an admissions process could be implemented. Um, 25 years later, uh, the court in 2003 upheld, again, the use of uh, race in admissions as one of many different factors. That was a case called Grutter versus Bollinger. Um, in 2016, uh, the court, again, in Fisher, um, 
concluded that diversity, student diversity, uh, was a, a, an important constitutional value. Um, it upheld uh, it upheld the challenge against the University of Texas. Um, so we have a, a pretty significant body of law uh, in which the court has found on different occasions that uh, the educational benefits of student diversity um, are constitutionally compelling. There is another aspect to that, which is you have to make sure that it's being constitutionally implemented. Um, but what this case is seeking to do is essentially to say that you can't use any race at all in any context. Um, you've said that the plaintiffs are going back to the basics in suing Harvard. What do you mean by that? Well, as I, as I mentioned a moment ago, um, the Harvard admissions process was uh, cited by Justice Powell back in the 1978 Bakke decision as a model example of how race could be constitutionally used. And so in, in suing um, Harvard, um, essentially the plaintiffs are uh, are pointing to, are, are trying to overturn a, a plan that has been cited in various contexts by the court as being uh, as being a model plan. Um, Harvard also is going to um, attract a lot of attention. Harvard is defendant in a case is going to attract a lot of attention um, because it does set the standard for how admissions is done. And so by suing Harvard, um, the plaintiffs are going after um, a very big fish. And we also have the danger that uh, if the Harvard um, case uh, is successful, that it could have an enormous chilling effect around the country uh, in university admissions in terms of the consideration of, of race. Um, and so it's, it's a very deliberate effort uh, by this outfit, which is run by um, Ed Bloom, who is responsible for uh, the earlier challenges against the University of Texas that I mentioned. He's also someone who uh, brought the case challenging uh, the Voting Rights Act that gutted protections for minority voters. Um, this is not a person who cares about creating opportunities for uh, people of color around the country. The Justice Department's position has changed from the Obama administration to the Trump administration. What effect does the Justice Department have in this area? Um, Sorry, I didn't hear. I didn't hear um, the question. The Justice Department has taken a position in this case that is different from the position that the Obama administration took. What effect does it have when the Justice Department weighs in that way? Oh, sure. So, um, the the Justice Department rescinded certain um, uh, regulations that uh, that uh, laid out how race could be constitutionally considered. The Justice Department does not have the power to change the law. The law is established by the, U- the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, of course, it does have a chilling effect when the United States Justice Department weighs in um, in ways that are adverse to affirmative action. Um, but the, the law as it currently stands uh, clearly indicates that um, a comprehensive admissions process that includes race as one of many different factors is constitutional. And the question is, in that kind of admissions process where uh, admissions officers do look at so many different aspects of an applicant's identity, should race uh, also be included? 
and we are in a context, we've been living in that context for 400 years, where race is very much a lived reality. And so to say that in that context, you can't take a consider, consideration of race. All right, Lisa, we'll have to leave it there, but the case will be going on and we'll keep following it. Lise Bodie, a professor at Rutgers University Law School. In August, President Trump's lead attorney, Rudy Giuliani, discussed the Mueller investigation on Fox News, talking about how it would play in the midterms. Well, I think if it isn't over by September, then, then we have a very, very serious um, violation of the Justice Department rules that you shouldn't be conducting one of these investigations uh, in the 60-day period. Now it's mid-October, there are just three weeks until the midterms, and the Mueller investigation is still going strong. Joining me is William Banks, professor at Syracuse University Law School. Bill, Rudy Giuliani predicted the end of the Mueller investigation or threatened about it time and time again, but Paul Manafort is now cooperating with Mueller. Is that an indication that the investigation is not coming to a conclusion anytime soon? I think it sure is. Uh, you know, Mr. Chilani's made a number of claims and predictions that haven't uh, turned out to be true. There are no Justice Department rules that limit the, the investigation and the tendency of an election. And as we've discussed many times, Mr. Mueller is simply going about his business uh, day by day and uh, indictment by indictment and letting the letting the the facts and law lead them to where they need to go. They, they have Manafort to work with here, and they're still uh, awaiting sentencing and outcomes on uh, some of the other indictments that have been brought against the Russians and others. According to Political, Trump has slammed the Mueller, quote, witch hunt on Twitter nearly 50 times since July 4th. He mentions it in his campaign rallies. Yet it seems to be something that both Republicans and Democrats are avoiding talking about as they campaign for the midterms. Why that seeming disconnect? Well, I think, you know, there's a it's a relatively quiet time now in the investigation. The Mueller's team is is working to see what they can get from Manafort and others toward building case uh, either on the obstruction of justice or on the uh, conspiracy co- collusion side of things. And, and there's simply not much to talk about. And obviously, we've had plenty of other things to talk about concerning uh, partisan politics with Kavanaugh nomination and lots of other issues pending the uh, the election. But this, this thing is simply going on. It has its own momentum, uh, and it's not dependent on November 6th or any other magic date. One thing that there is to talk about is that CNN's reporting that Trump's lawyers are providing, in the process of providing written answers to a first round of questions and several questions about potential collusion. How does it advance Mueller's investigation to have written answers drafted by Trump's attorneys? Probably not very much. Uh, you know, this is a game that the president's lawyers have been playing with the Mueller team from the uh, beginning. The, the personalities have, have changed. The president has brought in new lawyers, uh, and some lawyers have left. There's now, uh, you know, the White House counsel's on his way out, and the president is interviewing replacements for Don McMahon. So I think we'll see yet more dynamics in the in the uh, in the effort to either respond to or not respond to Mueller's request for an interview of Trump. This is going to primarily go to the uh, possibility of obstruction. 
uh, determinations, of course, uh, but it could be important for other aspects of the investigation as well. Turning now to the White House Counsel's Office, we know that Counsel Don McGahn is leaving his position, and he was regarded by some as a restraining influence on Trump. The Washington Post is reporting that Trump has chosen a conservative Catholic activist and Washington lawyer Pat Cipollone as his next White House counsel. He's already been advising the president's personal lawyers on Trump, reportedly. What will this change mean in the approach to Mueller? I don't know much about Cipollone, but I believe that it's going to, you know, play to the sort of the hardball side of uh, of dealing with uh, the Mueller team. I think he'll be pretty tough and pretty uh, uh, unwilling to cooperate and even to compromise on providing materials to the investigators. I think at the same time, we have to remember that the White House counsel's job involves much more than just dealing with the the single investigation. McGahn had a, a very signal role in getting the Kavanaugh nomination uh, through the Senate, ultimately, and then uh, his legacy, of course, in lining up uh, lower court judges that's probably been the president's uh, single most important accomplishment so far. We'll have to see whether the, the Cipollone can do as well or whether there's someone else in the team that will take over that responsibility. Speaking, and in the list of, we'll have to see, most observers think that we'll see Trump firing AG Jeff Sessions after the midterms. And the Washington Post reported that Trump had talked to Sessions' chief of staff, Matt Whitaker, about the job. And Trump hasn't denied that. Whitaker has a, a conservative record and past. I- explain what that might be. Well, you know, he's uh, he's going to replace Sessions if he does. He's going to replace him with someone conservative, to be sure. And looking for someone with a lower profile, uh, as would be the case here, uh, might serve his interest in uh, you know not paying much attention to the uh, the office of the attorney general, uh, perhaps going beyond uh, the attorney general to try to interfere again in the investigation uh, and dismissing. Uh, Mueller. We'll see if that might happen. It depends, of course, on what the next uh, steps are in the Mueller team. It's sort of a cat and mouse game. And Bill, just uh, quickly here, would Whitaker, would he have to be have a confirmation hearing or is he already confirmed by the Senate and so could just slide in there? No, he'd have to be confirmed separately for this post. Okay, thanks so much. As always, William Banks, professor at Syracuse University Law School. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.